Today's episode is brought to you by Wonder Workshop. We're very happy to have Wonder Workshop as our exclusive sponsor of this week's podcast. Wonder Workshop has created Dash and Dot, award-winning real robots that teach kids five and up to code, igniting curiosity and confidence through play while learning essential 21st century skills. Working with an iPad or tablet and a collection of free kid-friendly apps, kids send commands to the robots, programming them to move, explore, dance, and detect the world around them. With Wonder Workshop, every kid has the building blocks to push the boundaries of what is possible. Visit makewonder.com to check out Dash and Dot and how you can get your kids coding and doing robotics at home. Super simple. Check it out. We love them. Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, this is Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com. Welcome to Parenting Bites. Today in the studio, it's just me and Amy. Hi. <laughs> Amy Osden from SelfishMom.com. But we do have Andrea Smith on the phone. Hi, Hello. Andrea. Hi. Andrea, um, because she is tech guru extraordinaire, <laughs> is actually recording at ABC today or meeting with ABC. She's, she's so busy. <laughs> so she's on the phone, um, but we're happy she's still here. I should say, normally, we might as well tell this is we had to rejigger everything this morning because Paris Hilton needed the studio. So what a bully, right? I, something I never thought I would say. Like, I have to redo <laughs> my schedule because Paris Hilton needs my studio. Um, I'm, yeah. I, I'm think happy we didn't cross paths because I was really scared he would say something about our outfits or the way <laughs> we were dressed or something. We saw him two weeks ago when he was here. I don't know. That's a whole different topic. Maybe we'll get him on the show. He yeah. has a little boy. And uh, and God knows he probably has to balance social media with his son. No kidding. <laughs> and he owes us a guest spot for yes. moving us from our spot. So here we are in the studio way earlier in the morning than we normally are. Um, <laughs> on today's show, we are going to talk about the Imagine Cup, which is the Microsoft college-level international science fair, which is... An unbelievable thing, um, and has a fantastic website, which is why we're talking about it, because it's not just some random event that I went to and like, now I'm going to tell you all about it. You can actually go and see all these projects, and it will give you faith in the millennial <laughs> generation. It renewed my faith. Um, and our second topic is actually going to be, since we're on this back-to-school kick, how to set up a really good study space for your kid. This is really, you know, obviously we're aimed at a little older here, um, although I think the same thing sort of apply if you have a younger kid for creating, oh, yeah. like, play space. It's really about organization, giving your kid a way to take responsibility for their stuff, their work, you know, whatever it is. Um, and we'll talk about what our study habits were like when we were younger, <laughs> which has nothing, which really was horrifying. Um, so let's jump right into topic one, which is the Imagine Cup. Um, I went to spend three days, I guess, with Microsoft in Seattle to attend the Imagine Cup with a small group of journalists. And I had been there three years before, maybe, when it was in New York. This was actually on the Microsoft campus, happened to coincide with the launch of Windows 10 and One Week, which is sort of the celebration of every division of Microsoft. And they have these big tents set up, and everyone shares what they're doing. And it was really unbelievably cool. Um, but the Imagine Cup is... So some people thought maybe it was a cynical way for Microsoft to see what all these kids could work on and then steal it. <laughs> um, but it's not. Turns out, because I asked that question. Um, I didn't say you steal it. I said when they enter the contest, do you then have the first right to either you know acquire their product or whatever it is? And they or said, back it. Right, or back it or whatever it is. And they said, absolutely not. This is just 
in you know a huge international competition in order to spur innovation, get kids creatively thinking, get kids working in teams. I can tell you that the vast majority of the teams had women on them, yay, um, which was amazing. And they ran the gamut from technology that would impact social good in some way, not necessarily charitable, but it could be healthcare focused, you know, sort of the betterment of mankind. Um, one was in innovation, so they really had to be building out a unique technology that would impact systems. And then one category was gaming. So really diverse, 33 different countries made it to the finals. And Microsoft flies them all there, flies all these uh, kids, their at mentors their cost. at their cost to Seattle for this whole long week where they present and meet with mentors and give their pitches and talk to the judges. And it was, I'm telling you, it was like amazing um, to see that much youth and talent and energy being put towards true innovation and creativity. And and then they had to present, which, you know, if you're 19 or 20 and that's you're presenting, scary. scary, right? You're presenting in front of rooms of adult journalists, really. That's who was there and other students. And it was really, really amazing. Um, so you can actually go to imaginecup.com and start. You can look at all the things. You can also find out if your kid is going to college or is um, in college if you're if their college has a team, has something set up where they can participate in the Imagine Cup, because I think not enough schools know about it, um, particularly in the United States, ironically enough. <laughs> so I know you guys were going to look, right? You guys looked at the videos from Imagine Cup. I totally I did. did and not. I have a question. So <laughs> when they pick a winner, yes, um, d does one of them get funded? Does one of them receive any kind of scholarship money or anything to help them bring their... The winning team gets $10,000, I believe. Um, uh -huh. And the winning team was from Brazil. They had this... It was my favorite, so I was so happy they won. Um, they had this unbelievable product they built that was, you know, so sometimes people get frustrated because a lot of times the stuff the women work on is like fashion and makeup and whatever. Yeah, well, let me tell you, this was about fashion. What they built could revolutionize the fashion industry. It was basically developing a way to scale custom clothing. <gasps> so they have realized that, so first of all, they said the average worker um, in a sweatshop basically, um, I think that in Brazil, where they're there, makes seven cents a t-shirt and they work for one of those clothing mills, basically. And they created a way to take any pattern, upload it into their system, or use bazillions of patterns they already have selected. Um, and I think they were working with Vogue patterns, even, to get them online. And created a technology that enabled you to print this pattern from any home printer. So they said pattern making alone takes five to 10 hours. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. You're, you have to scale it. You have to measure. You have to know how to take a size and like make it into the right size, you know, whatever it is. This actually says, okay, here are your measurements. Here's the pattern. Creates the custom pattern right from your printer. So now, For my own hips. For your own hips, oh. your own everything. <laughs> and you could say, I want this. And then seamstresses or tailors around the world who have this set up could bid and say, I will build you that wedding dress in your perfect dimensions, you know, whatever it is. Um, so you are now empowering these 
women around the world, and basically it is women, but men too, who all you need is a sewing machine and a printer, right? So wow. you could get, you could envision collectives of women coming together with you know a few sewing machines. Think about how little of a micro loan that would take to yeah. give women sewing machines and printers, and now they become tailors, custom tailors to people around the world, and people now get custom clothing. They were saying like there was a crazy percentage of clothes that people don't wear because nobody is sized off the rack, right? So whenever right. you see people who look really fabulous in their clothes, it's usually because they bought stuff and then took it to a tailor and oh. had it fitted. I Every- just had that conversation. I mean, people who, and not me or any of the friends I know <laughs> or hang out with, but I, I, you know, we were talking about how people buy clothes and literally go right to the tailor yeah. to yeah. make it sized perfect for them. And it makes e- all the difference. Every pair of jeans that I own, I have to buy them a size up to accommodate my hips and butt and then get it taken in at the waist because my waist is like an entire size smaller. Yeah. And also when you're short, like I am, um, no matter what, you're going to have to get things hemmed. Yeah. You're going to have to things cut yeah. in. I mean, it's just... The whole idea Which adds to the price of it too. I mean, oh, it's hugely really costly. Right. I, don't, I I will never understand why women's jeans don't come in inseam lengths like men's. Right. I don't understand why men don't have to have this problem. Um, because they're men. Right. I, yeah, there's something really wrong. But they know women will do it. Women will pay yeah. two hundred fifty dollars exactly. for a stupid pair of jeans and another forty to have them. So yeah. you're basically you're basically hiring someone, a woman in another country, who's set up with a sewing machine and these patterns. To create this for you and ship it to you? Yeah, so it all it would all be done. So the idea was to be able to scale custom clothing, which really is like the trend. And you should see the technology they built. I mean, they built on like five different platforms, and it was really amazing. I mean, that's why they won. I think they had sort of the whole package of really unique technology mm. um, and this ability to reach millions of people and really solve a problem, right? Yeah. This whole thing. And they had done a great test case where they had people design a princess dress. <laughs> they had people put up their princess dresses <laughs> and then people built them and they, you know, were amazing they had them there. Um, they were incredibly enthusiastic. And I have to say something else, which is that these people, 33 different countries, they all had to present in English. Oh, and God, we're snotty. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? But the Japanese team, I mean, you could see that they worked so hard just memorizing what they had to say because they had to say it in English, which they were. a lot of these teams were not comfortable speaking. Um, so maybe there was always, like, one person on the team who was good at, better at the English. And these, I was like, I, that amazed me. Like, That's I don't incredible. know how many American kids would go to Japan well, and, and the present fact that in we Japanese. Well, we don't force American kids to learn a second language throughout their whole life. Well, this is why, because we make everyone come here and speak English. Yeah. <laughs> so, But it, with that alone, I thought, was also truly amazing for these kids. And, you know, some of them had never been out of, like, their small town in Estonia, you know, like, let alone, like, on a plane coming to America. Like, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, the other teams that won in the other category, so the Brazilian team won overall and for the innovation category. So what they do is they take a winner in each category, and then they have an overall winner of the Imagine Cup. So they won innovation, they won overall. The gaming category was won by this Russian team that developed this game that was so gorgeous. I mean, so beautiful, black and white, all shape and abstract based. It moved in all different like forms, dimensions. You played it mobily, it kept moving. It was both a game and sort of a meditation tool. Like it just <laughs> became that and it was it was truly spectacular. It had all these different forms of gameplay that you don't normally find. Um, in terms of movement and depth and how you moved your device and how the game changed shape. 
um, because it was it was truly abstract. And to take it down to black and white again was exquisite. Hmm. So that was really fascinating. They were Russian again. They two girls. They met at a different Imagine Cup competition like a year <laughs> before, and then became a team, which was really interesting. Um, and then there was basically it's the social good. It's not called that. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like that social good category was a team from I think the Netherlands. They took virtual reality so they did both using both connect and then oculus rift um and they created it was unbelievable it was for caregivers of people with dementia and you put on the oculus rift basically you were in this virtual reality space and it completely replicated what it's like to have dementia so that the caregiver could develop true empathy and understand what their patient was dealing with and they were put in their shoes. I mean, like wow. literally in that space, That's in that incredible. headspace. Yeah, so that they could develop empathy and understand better how to care for people with dementia, which I think for all of medicine, how incredible is that? If you're dealing with Parkinson's, if you're dealing with, you know, ALS, if you're dealing with all these things where the caregivers start to experience, I mean, think about that for medical school. If that's part of your medical school training is to actually experience what a patient might be going through, which is, I think, part of people's complaints a lot of times about doctors, particularly surgeons, how cut off they are and how clinical they are and how little they have empathy for patients. And that would be so, I mean, I think about that, you know, my mom doesn't have dementia, but she has aphasia following her stroke, which is almost the same thing. She can't communicate and she can't get the proper words out. And I'm always thinking about how frustrating it must be for her to be, to have her brain working and thinking, but not be able to say it. And so for, for myself or for her caregivers, it would be um, so empowering, I think, to be able to understand how she's trying to communicate and what it's like for her so yeah. that you can develop strategies. Well, I was thinking about it for teachers. You know, a oh. lot of times teachers have even a bigger problem than doctors with empathy, um, particularly for, you know, if you have kids who are hyperactive, if you have kids who with autism. are on the spectrum, if you have kids who, like, are sort of going through that same thing where this is the only way they can express themselves, then it becomes, like, physical or acting out. I think it could be so important for a teacher to be in those shoes, you know, and understand what it must be like for that kid. Um, you know, I just think the fact that virtual reality could be used to build empathy is so fascinating. And I, th I think that's why they won, because they tapped into something that no one has considered when they think about virtual reality, um, which is not being about you in mm -hmm. a space, but actually being about you navigating a totally foreign space that could actually help you relate to others it's very it's the total opposite of every kind of science fiction you see about virtual reality right which is this very like self-involved you know going into your own memories going into your own but this is totally different um so it was really truly i encourage everyone to go see these videos i encourage you if your high school has an intel science program that's like the junior league version of this i think mm. Um, although this Intel Science program tends to encompass, it's much more of like a two-year research project usually. It's less. This is very, Imagine Cup is also very entrepreneurial focused. It has become more entrepreneurial and startup focused and the kids actually have to make a business plan. They have to present their plan. They have to do case studies. So I thought it was a really good mix of both science, technology, development, teamwork, which I love to see is how collab. That's why I hate science fairs in schools because I think <laughs> science is all about collaboration. Um, and... That that really incredible entrepreneurial spirit, I think, was like a beautiful mix. And I, these kids, a lot of them will probably get funding down the road because they had to do this work. 
yeah. for this, and they actually presented, and they're in a position now to to attract real funding. It doesn't have to come from this competition. The competition is just this unbelievable launching pad. Hmm. All right, I'm definitely going to go look. I totally didn't look before. For the first time all summer, both of my kids are, are in sleepaway camp. So we've just been catching up on TV, but I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, and other things. Go look and have your kids look. That's what I think. I think everyone should have their kids go to the ImagineCup.com site and watch those videos. They're like three minutes. Watch the videos with the winning projects. Have them delve deep into what, you know, all these different countries came up with. It's, it is. It's really inspiring. And um don't believe any of the crap you hear about millennials and being lazy and entitled <laughs> and whatever, because that's a whole other discussion. But they say that about every generation. Every generation above says that about the generation yeah. below, that they have no work ethic and they're horrible and whatever. Um, so it's totally nonsense. <laughs> so that is our Magic Cup. Uh, we'll be right back with our second topic, which is how to build an awesome study space for your kid. Be right back. Okay, we are back now with topic two, which is how to build an amazing study space for your kid. Or that would be amazing. How about functional, working, <laughs> like <laughs> something um, other than your dining room table if you've got the space? Right. Although I, I have a, a weak spot for the dining room table because um, I think it keeps your kids in front of you and. I don't know, sort of in your line of sight. I think sometimes when they go into their room to do their work, I don't know if they're really doing their work. No, that's the dining room <laughs> yeah. table so yeah. didn't work for us at all. And, and I have to say I'm a big proponent of um, maybe not the dining room table, but keeping, you know, when kids are working on a computer, keeping that computer in a public space. Yeah, that, that those days are over. <laughs> I do. I, well, think. I think especially for younger kids, though. For younger kids, it's really important to see what they're doing and to know that, you know, yes, there's going to be a parent over your shoulder, you know, until you're uh, deemed trustworthy to go off and use your computer. Yeah, the problem is I don't think kids are using computers. I guess that's a whole other discussion. Right. Those kids are all on an iPad, and that's the problem is that you can't – no one's sitting there on the desktop anymore, very few kids. Are they doing schoolwork on an iPad? Little kids aren't doing schoolwork on the computer. Um, I think it really starts in middle school. I think that in elementary school there are kids somewhat using computers in terms mm -hmm. of doing research. and um, But, I mean, at least from my experience here in New York City, most elementary school work was done worksheets, like projects. Ugh, are they still using worksheets? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh. And then they may be doing apps and stuff like that, but that's usually on an iPad. It's usually not so much. Sometimes they'll assign things on a computer, like a game or, you know, some kind of learning game or something, but it's not. Yeah. Unless they have to look something up or print up pictures, it's not so much work on a computer. But hmm. when, when my son started kindergarten, he had homework, which uh, this is what, like eight years ago, still pisses me off. Um, but we had to get a routine and get a place. And for the first few years, it was our dining room table. Yep. And that just didn't work. It didn't work for him because there was really no good place in our dining room for him to keep his stuff. So his stuff would just get oh, scattered. Oh, you'd also have his stuff there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the books and everything get scattered when, when we need the table for dinner. Um, but it also didn't work for me because, like, we have one big room downstairs that's living room, dining room, kitchen. So I would be trying to get dinner ready. There were too many distractions. I wanted to have the TV on. Can't have it on because he's doing his homework. So finally, a few years in, we took a really small room. It was really only big enough for, for the, the table. And um, we bought a secondhand table on Craigslist and um, just set up a shelf for them to put all their stuff and 
it was right at the top of the stairs. I could hear what they were doing, and it made a world of difference. Like, you walk into that room, it's homework time. All of your supplies are there. All of your stuff returns to there when you're done with it. And it was just wonderful. And it cost us practically nothing. So let's talk about the basics of setting up the study space, because I think... A desk is a big uh, debate, right? Because some people feel like a desk is just now another flat surface for your kids to throw tons of junk on. Mm, They're never actually going to sit at their desk and work. They're going to be sitting on their bed, on their laptop. They're going to be laying on the floor, like whatever it is. Um, Or they're in the kitchen table. Whatever it is, actually physically sitting at a desk, a lot of kids don't do. Um, My girls do. Uh, we bought them desks yeah. when they started middle school. So until then, they did their homework at the kitchen table, um, which worked great because actually we would just pack it all up. I had a drawer in the kitchen, and all their crap went into one big, deep drawer <laughs> afterwards. So all the pencils and crayons and all that stuff was in there. But in middle school, we realized like they really needed a desk and a setup and something that um, you know where they could keep track of their stuff and have folders and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we also got them each a laptop at that point, too. They had been sort of, I don't know, winging it. Like there was part of the family. This one sort of belonged to them. Sort of, They were always yeah. getting like hand-me-down laptops that were sort of this or sort of that. Um, so my daughters do do their work at their desk, but their computer takes up most of their desk, even though it's a laptop. So when they have their book stuff, <laughs> what I find is they have their book on their lap, because they want their computer open because they're probably looking at other stuff on the <laughs> computer. They either have like YouTube on, that's what they're listening to music with, or they've got BuzzFeed up. They're doing something else distracting. And then they have their book on their lap. And then I'm like, this is not working. Um, so I'm trying to figure out something better for them. But I think the problem was the desks were too small. Yeah. So that's my first tip is get a desk that's big enough to have like books like a textbook open, a notebook, and a tablet or a computer. Like you actually need a bigger space than you think. We, we didn't buy a desk. We actually bought a secondhand table from an architect. So it was like big enough to put blueprints on. It's still not a huge table, but it's like long and it has little um, cubbies all around it. Oh, so like perfect great. for putting paper and pens and books. It's oh, each, yeah. And the yeah. scotch tape and the stapler and all that stuff right. you lose yeah. all the time. And, it, and we got it for like 50 bucks. And right. then, you know, another 20 each for chairs from Ikea and a couple of lamps and we were done. See, I was going to say, Ikea, of course, is like the go-to place for this stuff. Um, I, Ikea has a system. If you go to the like office section, you can pick any top and any yeah. base. So you could actually get the size you need, mm-hmm. um, which I that's what I recommend. We actually did like a real, we did an Ikea desk, but they're like, they were already predetermined. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think now we should have just done a big, long tabletop. Um, with the two chairs. I actually would have done a tabletop big enough for both of them, just had it spread across that one wall of the room and then two chairs and then like, they don't need a file cabinet. No. My kids did not need a file cabinet. Um, they just <laughs> not anymore. Need, no, but boy, <laughs> they needed shelves. Like they need shelf, like cubbies or shelves. Like yeah. There's just stuff, and you don't want it piling up on top. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big thing is sort of getting your kids the organizational stuff, whether it's like a, a lot of a lot of Tupperware. You don't have to buy the fancy stuff at the mm-hmm. container store. You can go buy Ziploc or Glad storage containers. <laughs> 
Um, and, and we have a, one of those big caddies from Staples that yes. holds like scissors and ruler and tape and paper clips and all that stuff. Yes. All in one big certain, you know, lazy crap. Susan Glue thing. sticks. I like yep. to also make sure like that you have that stuff when you start the school year. Yeah. The last thing you want is your kid coming home and like, oh my God, tomorrow this is due. And then, like, oh my God, they needed like poster board yeah. and construction. You want to kill you know, them. Here's the, be- here's the best board. advice. Just buy 10 things of poster board at the beginning of the year. You yes. will love yourself for it yes. later. Yeah. hundred percent. That's the best tip, really. Yes, have that crap. Just Amazon Prime it. Just stick it in your closet. <laughs> stick it in a closet. Stick it under the bed. You can put a pack of poster board under a bed. Yeah. Like, no problem. Um, yeah, that and, like, glue. Um, and then ban glitter. I, I Just do it. Yeah. Just say no to glitter. <laughs> no no glitter allowed They're in the They're herpes of the crafting That's world. Just you never know that. when it's going to pop up. <laughs> and it, you can't get rid of it. Nope. Never. <laughs> so. You have that forever. Like um, luggage. And then I think there are those basic things that, um, first of all, have your kid work with you on setting up the space. That's the other way I went wrong is that I had it like all set up when they came home from camp. And I didn't know how they were going to use it yet. I think it's like anything with organization. Like, don't try to force the organization on yourself. See how you're using a space and then organize that way. So um, have your kid sit down at the desk. Have them get a month into school and then say, like, okay, you know what? They're never using markers, like markers on the bottom. So now, but they're using pencils all the time. They need their pencil sharpener on the top of the desk. Oh, my God, they need a waste basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please get your kid a garbage bag. And a recycling and bin. And a recycling bin. And probably, like, there's a, your kid, if your kid's like my kid, they get pencil shavings everywhere when they empty the uh. pencil sharpener. So, <laughs> like, there's just things like that you can't know. Definitely a task lamp. My kids have a big, like, cork board in front of their desk too where they can pin things up so whether it's um, like assignments but also like pictures of their friends like whatever they have like a big cork board in front of their thing that they love and they use all the time and a dry erase but a calendar it can't I know Mm -hmm. I talk about calendars all the time on the show I can't stress it enough my daughter's middle school gave them all a planner the first day like a real physical planner um, to teach them how to organize their assignments. But I find that if my daughters can look at the wall and see, like, science fair is Friday, you have a test on Tuesday, it's better than them trying to find find their planner um, and look <laughs> through it and figure it out. I, they're like I me. think that visual cue is so important. I agree with you. And my son, who's much older now and, you know, in the working world even, he will do that. He's grown accustomed to... Having, having a whiteboard or having a calendar posted that he can look up and see what's due or what the schedule is or, you know, where he needs to be. I think that's great training. Yeah, yeah. I do, too. I think that, and, and if they have after-school stuff, so they can just look up and be like, oh, I need my whatever. I need yeah. my ballet shoes and my cleats and my swimsuit, whatever it is. Because um, you don't want to be that parent who has to run to school because your kid forgot the whatever. Um, and we've all been there. It's not like you won't be that parent on some day. But... Who wants to be that parent? I hate that. Um, this year was the year I put my foot down. I was like, you forgot it. Yeah. Sorry. Like, not happening for you. Um, but that depends on how old your child is. When they're little, you don't want them to suffer and cry. When, when they're older, you're like, Do you, you, you forgot it. Um, so I think all of that is really key. Just having organization, not to overwhelm the top of a desk or a table with too much stuff. Get bins for underneath. Get stackable bins. Get organizers. But don't. You don't have to put every school supply out from the get-go either. Like, we have a little closet that we have one shelf that has all the extra school supplies mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Because don't, over, especially when your kids are little, don't overwhelm them with stuff. It's too much. It's too much choice, and it's too hard for them to organize themselves. So those are my, those are my tips. Um, yeah. I will tell you how I did my studying. 
in front of the TV. Um, on my stomach. On my stomach. Uh, way too late at night. Yep. Waited way too long to start it. Um, alone in high school, I did a lot of my homework on the subway on the way to school. Same, I, but on the school bus. Yep, because my subway was the uh, opposite of the commute. We actually had an empty subway on the way to school, so I did all my <laughs> calculus homework on the way. And then sometimes we'd cut first period and go to the diner and finish. Um, <laughs> so I don't want my daughters doing that. <laughs> so, um, And you probably don't, too, although I think every child of the 70s, 80s has those homework stories. Yeah. Um, there was no homework area in my house. There was no, no schedule for it. No. My parents had nothing to do with my homework. The fact no. that, like, my I... My parents didn't even look at my report card no. by the time I got to high school. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have to say, it's, it's awesome. interesting to hear how, while so much has changed with technology, very little has changed with the homework study space. <laughs> <laughs> because when I had to do homework, and we grew up three girls in a two-bedroom New York City apartment, so my mom had one bedroom, and the three siblings had the other bedroom. Eesh. And the deal was, my mother, bless her heart, you know, carved out space in her bedroom for the oldest person to have her own desk and study space. And my older sister occupied this space until she went off to, uh, she did the last two years of high school at a boarding school. So I got it. And I moved into this space. And it was really amazing to have this private, quiet space away from the craziness. And then, of course, when I left, my younger sister, well, she had the whole house, but that's besides the point. (laughs) But, But it was still, it was a desk. It was a flat slab. It was a desk. We did have filing cabinets in those days because we didn't have digital filing. But it was the same thing. I had a cork board up on the wall where I could post pictures and post my calendar and little cubbies to have the scotch tape and the stapler and the garbage underneath. And it sounds, aside from the laptop and the tablet and all the digital um, accessories that we have today, it's exactly the same. A nice, quiet place where you can spread out and do your work. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think it's important also to say that even if they don't actually use the surface, it still makes a difference. Like, my son, he likes to sit at the table and, and use it, but my daughter, she grabs her stuff, she goes into a beanbag chair, and she does it there, right near the table, but all the stuff still lives on the table, and it's still the homework area. Now, if my husband were listening to this, he would be laughing his ass off, because right now, the homework area is covered in so much stuff you you can't even get to the table. So one of my goals before school starts again is to get it cleaned up and ready because both of my kids are starting new schools and they need that. Yeah, you know, they need that space. Desperately. I just did that. I just did that over the weekend um, and had like a total asthma attack. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so those are our tips. If you guys have study tips, let us know um, or send us pictures of your kids' study space. I'm always interested to see. Someone did um, for a while. There was a blogger doing I think it was Jennifer James she was like do it show me your like home office space like where you write as a blogger and it was so fascinating particularly as a New Yorker to see everyone with their like (laughs) lovely like separate area or a separate room for their computer I was like wow this is my dining room table because me I am on the dining room table my girls now have desks and I am totally on the dining room table but now I have an office so like that changed my life I have an office that I don't use I have an office and I'm on the couch right so it yeah. just depends on what you're comfortable with, too. If I'm really, really brave, I'll do a before and after of my kid's homework area. Oh, you should totally do it. Yeah. Just promise not to call child services, because by the time <laughs> you see the after, it will be done. It'll be clean. All right. We are going to be right back with our Bites of the Week. But first, we're going to, um, we said at the top of the show, we had a special sponsor this week, with which is Wonder Workshop, who we adore. And mm-hmm. we have a special interview with the CEO, where we're talking about 
Kids and Robotics. This is not a long ad for Wonder Workshop. This is actually an awesome segment about kids and robotics and something to think about um, as your kids start school, how you can add in coding and robotics, even if it's something your school doesn't offer. And after that, we'll be right back with Bites of the Week. A new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So, um, thanks, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we were really excited when we learned about Dash and Dot. Um, particularly because it made coding available for much younger kids. So I think people think of coding, they think high school, um, you know, something really difficult that their kids have to sort of master all this math first, and then maybe they'll be interested in coding. But you guys have figured out a way to really bring coding down to really little kids, mm -hmm. right? How young are we talking? So we look at kids starting at age five. So first grade or kindergarten roughly is where... Um, and we saw a lot of research when we started the company which showed that kids at that young an age uh, can grasp these concepts and, and if given the right tools, they can do a lot with it. So the question was, can we create those tools? Uh, and that's what's led to Dash and Dot. So can you describe when parents want to introduce coding to their kids, sort of what that even means? Yeah. So I think even if you take a step back and say why coding, because that's one of the questions that get asked a lot, is I think we live in a world where uh, technology is evolving at a very rapid pace, and a lot of the technology is powered by software, which we don't see. Uh, take an iPad, and if you ask a child, how does it happen that an iPad, which is not connected by any wire, is able to show a YouTube video? Uh, and it's not something a child will readily be able to say, put the dots together. And it's, it's only going to get more advanced and more interesting in many ways. Um, so for us, the, the reason that every child, first of all, should be exposed to coding and they should learn to code is so that they can make sense of the world they are growing up in. And it doesn't matter if they grow up to be an engineer, a doctor, an architect. The fact is that they will be relying on some of these tools to do their jobs, irrespective of what the job is. And, um, and when it coding, what it means isn't mean learning a programming language. It is much more about learning the concepts that make um, code come to life. It's about computational thinking, thinking logically, uh, solving problems, uh, using abstract concepts, taking a large problem, breaking it down into smaller pieces, then putting it back together, taking what you applied in one context and applying it to something else. Um, these are very basic concepts of analytical thinking uh, that really form the foundations of coding, if you will. And really take that coding and use physical tools like robots and toys and give kids that, that ability to learn those concepts and see them come to life in, in physical form. And that's what we've seen help us cross that barrier of, hey, it, can it be only for older kids and can we bring it down to very young children? And not only they're able to learn these concepts, but actually have a lot of fun doing it. So I think when a lot of parents hear coding, they picture like, you know, the social network movie where they're sitting there with the headphones on and they're in front of the computer for hours typing away. But really, the coding, if people could see the apps you guys have developed, which we'll link to, it is drag and drop. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's something, it's really about learning those building blocks more than sitting there typing away on the actual code, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about how that works and how kids yeah. are able to do that? Yeah, so um, you're very right. The traditional notion of coding is a you're typing a lot of text sitting in front of a keyboard and you see this from Hollywood movies, you see this bunch of lines of you know, text just right. scrolled by. Um, but actually, I mean, what we've done is taken a lot of those kind of what a child would have to do and really bring to life on a touch device like an iPhone or an iPad. And the goal for us was because we're going for kids who are you know, still learning to type, I mean, their, their gross motor skills aren't developed enough or fine motor skills aren't developed enough to be able to, able to type effectively. But we also know that they are able to use a touch screen very effectively from a very young age. So can we take coding to those platforms? Can we take the same concepts but let kids use their touch screens to do the programming? And what we've done is we've developed a series of apps um, that let kids uh, drag and drop blocks, put the blocks together, and use them to solve puzzles. And each puzzle forms a piece of code that comes to life with a robot in front of them. Um, our goal, the reason to also focus on robots and toys, is that as both parents, as you know, uh, and and uh, people behind the company, we did not want the life of a child to be restricted to a screen. We wanted to come out of the screen, and right. and they should get the sense that they can manipulate the world around them. Uh, with the code they write, which may happen on a screen. Um, so there has to be this blending of what they do on a screen and what comes happens outside the screen. Um, and that's what uh, Dash and Dot enable children to do. And the programming interface, we continue to innovate on. Uh, we right now have four applications. We're working on new ones that come out that all involve a form of visual interaction that let children do amazing things with the robots. I think that is the coolest thing because kids want to see the effect of their work, right? Like that is the robot is immediate gratification that you see that it worked. Whereas you're sitting there doing code on a screen, even for older kids, it can be very frustrating. They don't really know what they're doing or what that end product is. And they have to go in and sort of debug it and figure it out and what it is. That's right. But the robot is instant gratification for a kid, which is a great entry into this idea of coding. That's right. And I think um, you've touched on something which is very important for young children. So when we started the company, we we looked at what existed in, in the marketplace. And most things that existed were essentially robotics kits that kids had to spend a lot of time building to some form factor before they could start actually programming it. Mm-hmm. And that result, that required a child that essentially takes away any instant gratification from the picture. And for children at the age we're talking about, five to 10 year olds, that's a very important aspect. You will lose the attention of a child within 10 minutes if they're not seeing a reward come in. Right. And that was the big shift with what we're doing is can we have those elements of instant gratification much earlier on? So it's a, it's a robot that's engaging from the very moment it comes out of the box, but then provides a long lo- road of learning uh, along the way. Right. I think that's really important. You know, a lot of times we'll see very complicated robotics um, where the adult ends up doing most of the work and the kid is sort of the helper. Yep. And what's so great about Dash and Dot, I think, is it's totally kid, like you can leave the room. Like mm-hmm. you, you probably should. Like yep. you should just have nothing to do with it and let your kid experiment and not try to drive what they're doing. I mean, your kid might need help initially yep. to learn it, but you guys have built really intuitive tools to kind of help kids 
build those steps. So it's not complicated from the get-go. It's not a box you unpack and have 3,000 pieces that mm -hmm. is so daunting. Yep. Um, it's quite level. People will see the picture on the Facebook page, but it's very lovable. I mean, I liken it to like a little R2-D2. <laughs> it's very round and cute yep. and sweet, yep. um, yet is packed with tons of possibility. That's right. Which is so interesting to me. So how are some unique ways kids have, I know kids make videos and we'll submit them to your YouTube channels. A lot of teachers are using Dash and Dot. So what are some of the most fun, unique things you've seen people do with Dash and Dot? Um, and uh, I mean, the, the thing that kids have done have inspired us, you know, just like as hopefully Dash and Dot have inspired them. Um, as you mentioned, we, uh, there are about 500 schools that, where teachers have bought these robots and they're using them in their classrooms. Uh, teachers have converted these robots into you know, little bees to do biology lessons. They've converted right. them into measuring tools to do maths lessons. Um, and we've seen, and teachers are telling us and that the engagement level for a child in those same lessons is nearly 100%. Like every child is engaged and certainly is doing maths mm -hmm. in their classroom, whereas they, couldn't, they haven't been able to do that previously. So the robot crosses over not just from coding into other forms in that sense. Um, and then there are kids and parents at home who are doing interesting things with these robots. So for example, um, our robots come with, the, with a few building connectors that you can use to build with Lego bricks and techniques on top of our robots. Um, and using those, kids have been able to build interesting contraptions with our robots, whether it's shooting darts, or it's picking up things, or it's cleaning your room. Um, <laughs> well, cleaning your room, now yeah. we're talking. <laughs> so, um, and that's just, that continues to inspire us to look at right. what we want to do more and what, what interesting things we can put in the hands of children so, so they build uh, more interesting things with the robots. That's really great. Well, we love it. How much, so let's get down a little bit of practicality, which is how much Dash and Dot are retail and where parents can find them. Uh, our robots, Dash and Dot, are available on Amazon. Uh, they're available in the Apple stores and on apple.com. Uh, they're definitely available on our website, makewonder.com. Um, Dash uh, comes by itself. Uh, Dot right now is being is available as a companion to Dash, uh, but that's something we are looking to bring out as an independent product starting in a month from now. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's Dash is right now also happens to be the highest rated robot on Amazon, oh, which is something very proud of. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> it's so cute. So that's great. So we will direct everyone from our Facebook page. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was really great. And oh, my pleasure. We hope parents just take that leap into coding and robotics. It's not hard. It's not daunting. You don't have to know any yourself. That's right. <laughs> just jump right in. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. We have something special going on. We want to spread the word about Parenting Bites, and we hope you do too. So we have decided to do a giveaway. Um, this is, if you've never entered a social media giveaway, it's super easy to do. We're utilizing Facebook, and Amy is going to explain all the details on what you can win, which is super cool, and how to enter. Yes, and um, we've got two really great prizes for this. The first one is a Harmony Home Control Remote System. Um, it's amazing. It controls all of your home entertainment stuff, plus things like um, hue lights, and if you have a Nest thermostat, all of that, that really cool home automation stuff. Um, and then the second prize is an iExpand flash drive, the 128 gig model, which is amazing. From SanDisk. Uh, from SanDisk, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really expensive little, little piece of equipment. Um, 
And what it does is it can take all of the pictures and videos off of your iPhone to make room for new pictures and videos. Um, so we'd really like to thank both of those companies for giving us those prizes to give to you, Logitech and SanDisk. And you can enter by going to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash parentingbytes with a Y. And if you go to the giveaways tab, you'll see the giveaway right there. It's really easy to enter and you can enter every day. It's running throughout the entire month of August. So good luck. Ooh, every day. Yes. <laughs> Rack up those entries. That's share, right. share, share. Great. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Okay, we're back with Bites of the Week. Woohoo! Amy, you're first. Okay. Um, so, my husband and I have been together forever. Like, literally. Like, there was no time <laughs> before we were a couple. That's when time started. In the womb. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and um, I think we've exercised together, like, once or twice in all that time. Um and we decided yesterday that we were going to do a, a couch to 5k together which you know if our marriage survives this we can survive anything and we woke up this morning to start at 5:45, and of course it was pouring rain but we didn't let that stop us we did it wow um but my my bite of the week is the app that I've been using for five years now. Um, I started running off and on about five years ago. I've done like five half marathons, whole bunch of 10Ks and 5Ks and a 10 miler. And I've tried different apps. I've tried different like watches and wristbands and things. And I always go back to this one. It's called Runtastic. And it's available for Apple. It's available for Android. It's available for Windows Phone. It's available oh my for God, everything. I know. Um, and it's it's really cheap. I think to get I, like there's a free base basic version, and then I think the pro version is only like five dollars. Um, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Like I can program it so specifically that like if we're doing a couch to 5k I can have it tell me okay 90 seconds walking and now a minute running and 90 seconds walking and a minute running and then the five minute cool down and you can you can just really program it how you want and it tracks everything you need it to track and it's on your phone it's it's wonderful runtastic cool Andrea Okay, I'm going to skip the gadget I was going to do because it can wait. I found an article, and I'm not one to really peruse BuzzFeed, I have to say. Um, but BuzzFeed has a great article called An Adult's Guide to Snapchat. Ooh. And I have to say, as somebody who doesn't use Snapchat, and uh, my son doesn't really use it, I know that it's more for teens and maybe a little younger, younger than my son, not younger than teens, um, I don't get it. I, I don't really get it. <laughs> um, aside from the obvious of what I think it's used for and all the, the kids who got in trouble in high school sending um, naked pictures, I don't get the appeal. So I'm going to send Amy along the link to this article so she can include it in our show notes because I really kind of understand it now. It's an adult's guide to Snapchat. It talks about why you might want to use it. It talks about how to use it. It talks about it shows you literally you know, in GIFs and, and videos, how to take a picture, how to edit your picture, how to write on your picture, this, the whole process of discovery um, and finding new things, because I don't have any friends on Snapchat, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if y'all are using Snapchat, but I'm kind of starting to check it out, and this is a really good guide. Cool. Um, yeah, I feel like you should always try things like that and not, it keeps you young. 
You don't <laughs> want to be one of those old people who are like, that's a weird thing. I don't know why people are I don't know why people use that. And also, if your kids are using it, I think that you really should be using yes. it. You should see what it can do. And 100%. Although yeah. you really can't monitor your kids on Snapchat. So right. Good luck to you. Right. Um, <laughs> so well, <laughs> well, well, we'll just figure it out. First, I'll figure it out. Right. right. Just know you're on it. So um, my bite of the week is John Stewart. So the last oh. Daily Show was last week, and um, there have been there's a ton of writing going on about John Stewart. There's a ton of people who didn't like him, do like him, whatever it is. Um, most of it is actually pro John Stewart, actually to the point where I'm sure he's like horrified. <laughs> um, but Fresh Air, the Terry Gross uh, NPR show, put up on their podcast. I only listen to it via podcast. Um, on August 6th, I believe it went up. They did a compilation of all of the interviews Terry Gross has done with Jon Stewart oh, over wow. the years. And Ben Carlin, his head writer, too. There's one with him. But they're great. Like, one is an excerpt from a live show at the 92nd Street Y. So it goes, it spans the entire run of The Daily Show. So all basically 15 years of it. Different times of The Daily Show. Different segments. Very famous segments. You know, when he was on Crossfire, they have that on. So... I highly recommend it. It's like a great send-off episode. Mm. And um, it's really cool to see the evolution of the show and him and sort of the thinking behind it. And, I, you know, I think that show, I'm still shocked that he signed off before the election year. I just Crazy. don't get it. But um, hopefully Trevor Noah will be equally I hope uh, so. witty and... Skewerish, mm-hmm. and well, li- and we also have John Oliver and yeah. Larry Wilmore, so I think well, we're in we'll good hands. Him, I'll give him a chance. <laughs> we'll I just, just want to say that um, I was in John Stewart's audience the first week, and I was so disappointed that I had missed Craig Kilborn. I was like, "Who is this new guy?" <laughs> All right, I'll go. Whatever. Oh my god! See before selfies. Now you have like you don't have any good proof. Nope. No proof. <laughs> Sucks. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Um, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Wonder Workshop. Once again, check them out at wonderworkshop.com and Dash and Dot on Amazon. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash parentingbites with a Y, B-Y-T-E-S. We are still running that awesome giveaway, speaking of back to school, where you can get the Logitech home harmony home, control. home, harmony home control, control, which basically will control your life via remote control and, um, and the <laughs> sandisk i expand flash drive which is really awesome so you can take all that crap off your phone all and, the time and not be full and, and put more crap and on. put more crap on um and have it with you actually it's a great back to school item too oh for yeah your kid. it's a fabulous yeah, item so your kids can't try to convince you that you need a new phone with more storage right, right exactly <laughs> Um, but I know flash drive is now the new thing on every school supply list because yeah. you need it. Your kid needs to go back and forth with their documents. Um, and so check out that giveaway on our Facebook page. Hashtag Parenting Bites on Twitter. We always love hearing from you guys. And, of course, iTunes. Subscribe, rate us, review us. We really appreciate those things. It really helps us in the search rankings in iTunes to come up when people search for us. And, obviously, on Play.it, where you can find Parenting Bites and all the cool CBS podcasts, including Paris Hilton's new podcast, which I guess we should all listen to because he bumped us. Because he bumped <laughs> us out. <laughs> so now we have to see why we got bumped. Um, so check it out. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>